This is Gordon Gall of Compass, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. <laughs> guys real talk podcast episode 40 we've gone 40 episodes it's actually a year in one month since the podcast was founded uh, i created the podcast as an idea to not just talk to amazing guests like amir karangi and gabriel strollman and chris okada and some of the other dozens of, uh, of compass agents that i have brought on as guests but also you know in real estate there is a lot of rants that go on, whether it's in the office space or out of the office space, during deals, outside of deals. We talk about with a market, we talk about brokers, we talk about the business, we talk about training, we talk about how we can grow our business, what hurts our business, everything from the corners of real estate. People love talking about real estate, especially in New York City, whether they hate it or they love it. It's just part of our life, it's just ingrained in our life. So, I'm really happy to announce the 40th, on my 40th episode, I have a very special guest. His name is Gordon Golub. Gordon and I met seven years ago for the first time. I've always read about him on The Real Deal. Thank you, Mir Karangi, one of our last guests. I've always read about Gordon in The Real Deal, but I really never knew who he was. I just saw this vague photo of him. Now, when he called me, he introduced me, he introduced himself as Gordon, and the only reason why I took the meeting was because he said he used to manage my then manager at town, Itzy Garay. Uh, shout out to Itzy if you're uh, listening to this. I, I, some people listen to this, a lot of people don't, but shout out Itzy. In any event, uh, I, I do have to say that I, uh, I'm so glad I took the meeting. Back then, I had a lot of beef with the way quote unquote, Urban Compass was operating, and uh, obviously we are a completely different business model now, but long story short, uh, Gordon himself, uh, he's been an executive for City Habitats, one of the largest companies in New York City. Uh, they have the largest rental portfolio, even probably to this day. He, he was there for 18 years. He founded the company along with uh, his business partner, Andrew Heiberger, who was my boss at town. It's been seven years and uh, 10 months since we joined Compass and Gordon is now, his title is now Senior Managing Director. I mean, you've had probably six or seven different title changes, maybe more since we joined. <laughs> Gordon is a father of three, uh, beautiful wife. We hang out and ask him all the time. I mean, I mean, I can't say more about uh, Gordon. He's not only just a mentor in life and business, uh, but just a great manager and I, the only reason that I initially joined Compass, I mean, Greg King was great and Rob Lehman was great, but the only reason I really joined Urban Compass initially was the faith that Gordon had in the team and the faith that I, think I, could, I, that I was able to entrust with Gordon. So, Gordon, thank you for coming and welcome and uh, nice to see you again. Yeah, you too, Talk. I'm, I'm talking to Talk on the 13th uh, month. I mean, good, good luck on number 13. <laughs> And congratulations uh, and what you created here. Super, super exciting. Uh, Real talk podcast. Yeah, yeah, no. Awesome stuff. Yeah, Th yeah, thanks yeah. for that. No, of course not. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. You manage tons of brokers. So let's get right into it. 
some warm-up questions. New York City, right? How about some New York City warm-up sure. questions? Give me, what's your go-to bar in New York City? Uh, no doubt, JG Mellon. Uh, <laughs> on the Upper East Side, it's the only bar open until 2 or 3 in the morning, typically, yeah. outside of COVID. But, oh, man. Uh, yeah. Love that place. I mean, great memories, not pre-COVID. JG Mellon. And yeah. what about a uh, go-to restaurant in New York City? Uh, I'd say Lartuzzi. I've been there oh, over a hundred yeah. times in the West Village. Uh-huh. Just love everything. Love Italian food. Love Lartuzzi. Wait, do you sit upstairs or do you sit downstairs? Uh, I, I typically like the, the ground level. And yeah. If you can get close to the kitchen, it's always fun. It is. No, I know it is. Yeah, My uh, best friend, Chef Jack, his wife, uh, is a bartender there. So, yeah, it's a nice. great restaurant. Now, uh, let's go with a uh, couple more uh, softball questions. Uh, Uber or city bike? Uber. Uber all day. Subway or walking? Subway. Subway all day. The, the Even during COVID, subway. The iron horse all the time. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, favorite moments since joining and working at Compass? Uh, favorite moments since joining and working there at must Compass? Be yeah, there's, wow, there's a lot. I, I mean, I'll tell you one of the early days when, when, when you were here, I don't know if you remember, we went to a bar uh, that was, we, were, we had a little happy hour. And um, I, I had some good drinks, and it was very close to the office, Six and Spring. Oh yeah. And um, things were going so well that I actually um, stood up on the chair, and I was dancing with everyone. Yeah. I didn't see the ceiling fan above my head, and everyone pulled me down before the ceiling fan got to my got to my head. So that was a, that was my favorite fun moment. And then I would uh, just on the business side, I would say. Um, Really crossing the threshold of having um, the most inventory on the listing side uh, of any brokerage in New York City. 25%. Yeah, Corcoran and Element have owned that space for decades, and um, a lot of my colleagues at other firms who I'm friends with have uh, kind of rigged me to say, I'm not sure if you guys can get there. So I love that competitive desire. That moment when we crossed that threshold <laughs> uh, was, was really exciting. That's amazing. And are we still there now? Yeah, Good. sure. Because I remember it was like a teetering point. Yeah, we are. And uh, we're not shouting it from the rafters because uh, during COVID, you no know, point. these, yeah, these exactly. sort of moments can be questionable. Doesn't really do anything. Listen, but uh, expect to hear more on that Q1 next year. Good. Okay, great. Uh, Two more soft, two more softball sure. questions. You've managed several offices during your city habitat stays in different neighborhoods. Do you have a particularly favorite neighborhood and why? Yeah, sure. So yes, as you mentioned, uh, I was there in the very beginning with Andrew Heiberger, and I had ownership in in, in a couple offices, and um, those were on the Upper East Side. Sure. So um, look, my favorite neighborhood, no question, is. Uh, Gramercy Park, any place close to Irving Place. Uh, my wife and I, before we started having kids, lived at 260 Park Avenue South. Uh, loved the building and loved that specific neighborhood. Yeah. Although, yeah, as as a family, uh, the Upper East Side's been incredible to us with with the schools, with Central Park, uh, and it's quiet and peaceful. Yeah, and, and it's a great school district. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that basically combines my last question because my next question was going to be your favorite neighborhood uh, in New York City. So, yeah, the Upper East Side is your answer. All right, well, let's get right into it. Um, so, as far as, let's just start from the beginning. You know, you went to GW. Yeah. Great school. Awesome. My dad went there as well. Uh, what were you like as a college kid? 
Yeah, yeah. Any struggles? Or yeah. you, were you always kind of like a good student? Yeah, and, and Washington, D.C. I know it's uh, yeah, it is. It's home for you, Tom. Washington so. football team. The That's home. it, Washington football team. When you were there, what, Jack Kent Cook was probably the owner at RFK State. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was the president, yeah, the intern yeah. at the White House. Okay. It, was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, so what was I like as a college kid? I, I, yeah, to be honest with you, I, I, I was finding my way. I didn't have a ton of confidence. Uh, I was, um, I liked to have a lot of fun. And okay. at the same time, didn't really know what I wanted to do for a career at that point in time. Uh, was not completely set on my major, which uh, I was a marketing major. Okay. Uh, but I think that the, the big takeaway for me there in college was uh, I really uh, found a way to uh, experience uh, relationships in a different way. GW. Uh, was was like this epicenter of people from all over the world. Yeah. It was such an international school that I was really exposed to a, a lot of different people from a lot of different countries. And as I mentioned, I interned in the White House and on Capitol Hill. And uh, I, I did some work in the commercial end to make a couple extra bucks on the real estate side. And uh, also um, uh, waited at a place called Boogie's Diner on Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, which was part clothing store, part like 60s diner. Yeah. So I, I think I found my way of understanding people really, really well in college. And uh, funny enough, I was showing my wife, we just recently moved, and I was showing my wife uh, the, my, um, my transcript, I guess, because we were unpacking boxes. And my goal was to like somehow get to a 3.0. I was a <laughs> decent student. And in my last semester, I just pulled it off. It was like 3.02. Um, so I was an average student uh, and more of a people person, people which person. I think has served me well in, in our industry. Sure, of course. But as far as you know, going coming back into the city, did you know that you wanted to become a real estate broker or a, a licensed agent to show homes? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine um, who I'm no longer in touch with, uh, I, I, I bumped into him. I used to work out with him at GW. He graduated a year ahead of me. And I bumped into him at a basketball tournament in Philadelphia. Um, oh, great. Uh, GW was playing Temple, and I, and I bumped into him. And, and I, I said, what's up? How's it going? And, and he said, good. He said, I own a, a real estate company in New York City. I said, what? Really? You just graduated. How do you own a real estate company yeah. in New York City? Uh, and this is in, in 1991. And uh, he said, you should come work with me for the summer. You can make a lot of money. And I had no real plans at that point. I was going to drive cross country and see if I really wanted to, to stay in, in New York or, or live out west. And uh, so anyway, I, I uh, signed up. My first month, I made, um, I made zero. Now, this is 1992 after I graduated. Yep. Uh, and I was this close to the year me. after the uh, football team Super Bowl win, by the way. Yep. For, for those that, for those that uh, want to know about old DC. Anyways. <laughs> So, uh, so basically, uh, I was working 16-hour days, and um, I was only working rentals at that point in time, and uh, the city was in really bad shape. What kind of apartment did you have? Yeah, so, uh, good question. I lived in the, uh, the Victoria, oh, nice. 7 East 14th Street. Uh, I took over a little, yeah, right over here, took over uh, a, a little room off the living room, you know, the converted three. Was it a rental building then, or was it a sponsor? Just one of the rental sponsors? Yeah, sponsors? Uh, yeah, it was a sponsor unit yeah, that right. three college, uh, or actually they were, um, they went to Cardoza Law School okay. right over here. And uh, I knew them from high school, and the, one of the rooms was open for the summer. So nice. jumped in there for six hundred thirty dollars a month, <laughs> and uh, 
lived there for the summer. And um, so, so my second month, I started making money on the rental side. And, and I just ran around like a lunatic. They gave me the name Three Shirt Gordo because I was sweating so much. I had to change my shirt three times a day. I know that, that you can relate to that. Um, the top towel. towel is, you have a towel uh, around the old You got to put it around your shoulders yep. or you know, wipe yourself off. Yep. My, 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 my way was to change the t-shirt. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny because I, I guess back in the day, Victoria I mean, was kind of, it's not like what it is now with all the bars and the restaurants. I mean, I'm sure it was kind of a more of a low-key neighborhood, right? Yeah, it was such a low-key neighborhood that um, I was, um, prior to moving in there, I was commuting in from New Jersey, uh, where my mom uh, lived at the time. And I'd walk across, I'd take the, the path train from Hoboken, and yeah. I'd walk across 14th Street from 6th to 5th. Oh, so the path existed back then? Yeah, the path, 1992. And I'd walk across 14th, and uh, I, I really didn't have any money back then. So what do you do when you don't have money? You go and gamble it away. So um, <laughs> I had, uh, I would walk across, and, and three-card Monty stands would be set up. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Uh, no. So three-card Monty is, um, they would have the little cardboard boxes, and they'd have a bunch of people standing around, and they'd be like, ah! when somebody won money, and you'd throw down 20 or 40 or 60 or $80, yeah. and you'd pick the card that they'd move around, and you have to find like the, rack, the, 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 the red or the black card, and that was one of the three cards. And what I did not know is that it's all set up. So there's three people involved, and they trick you and hide the card, and you always lose your always money. Lose. Yeah, so, and, and if you win, I'm pretty certain that the intimidation factor, you would give them your money uh, before walking away. So yeah, the neighborhood was totally different. Uh, there wasn't, you know, um, Union Square, people were, were shooting up, uh, yep. right, in, in broad daylight. Sure. Uh, people didn't go east of Third Avenue. It was considered incredibly dangerous. Uh, you'd see chalk bodies uh, on the ground from, yep. Um, you know, people that had, had been killed. Sure. The city was uh, incredibly unsafe at the right. time. Right, right. People, people think right now with the pandemic, you know, there's that influx of, of homeless people or, you know, the neighborhood is not as clean as it was. Uh, obviously, it's still night and day. No, no, no. Was back night and day. In the 90s. Totally agree. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so you made a little, you know, you made a couple bucks. You, I guess you went back to school that, in that summer and then you wanted to go back into bro brokerage after you graduated. Yeah, so basically, um, well, that was right at, that was when I, I came out right after I graduated. So you, moved, you moved to Victoria in the summer, you already That's graduated, right. and then you're going into the real estate business. You made a couple bucks. I mean, fast forward, I mean, there, I'm sure a couple things happened before you became an executive at City Habitats. Yeah, sh sure. So, I, um, first thing that happened was I still took my cross country trip with my college roommate, David Viner, who's still a dear friend, an nice. incredible guy. And we ended up at West and the entrepreneur in us. Uh, um, we ended up selling, um, we had this $600 car we bought out there that we needed to constantly get work done to it. And some guy was selling a Firestone car to us uh, at, and knocked on our door. For $30, you get um, five oil changes, brake adjustments, tire rotations. And we said, you must sell a lot of those. So the next thing you know, we open up shop, we have three offices, and we're running um, a business out there where we had 30 people selling door to door. And then I woke up one day and I said, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> I said, I need to get out of here. California is not for me. Selling door to door, running this business. So we came back and, and landed um, here in, uh, in the city. And we're sitting here right now at 110 uh, Fifth Avenue. As, as I look out the window, I can see um, the building 79 Fifth Avenue. Yep. So uh, 
my, my co the, the, the gentleman that I know from college that opened up the business was at 85th Avenue that was called KC Real Estate. And then um, Fitel was the next stop at 79th Fifth Avenue. That was actually, um, uh, that was my first foray. I was still an agent, but then I got into management. And, um, and that was when City Habitats actually started. It was actually, uh, Andrew uh, was at that time a manager as well. And he was managing, um, we opened up, uh, he, he was managing an office on 26th and Madison. And then we opened up an office on 38th and 3rd. And uh, so we were managing both of those offices. And then he said, well, why don't you go open up an office on the Upper East Side? And, he then purchased the company from um, the prior owner. Uh, it was the prior owner. owner yeah, before Andrew he, yeah, it. exactly. Uh, Andrew, I remember. Uh, speaking of which, you know, you got to give a shout out to that guy. What, what's, what's going on with what was your first impression of him? Did you know he was going to be as successful as, as he became you know, at a later date? Yeah, so great question. Andrew was a workhorse. He was tenacious. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't stop uh, until he accomplished what he needed to, and he taught me a ton. A uh, ton of respect for Andrew. He he, um, he, he taught me a lot of you know, what I've used through the years. And uh, the more I worked with him, the more I learned, and the more I was uh, kind of empowered to go and, and build. And we opened another office together, um, of which I put the money up for. And, and um, That was the Upper East Side office. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we had an office in the bottom of the Strathmore on 84th mm -hmm. and, and 1st, and then uh, the bottom of the Impala on 76th and 1st. And those are the two offices that I ran, and they were both very successful offices. And, and when um, uh, Realogy came in and bought the company from Andrew, because it was really his company, yeah. um, you know, I was... Uh, I was uh, you didn't have a say in the sale. No, he, I didn't even know about it until the day it was happening. Oh my uh, God. Which you, was which disappointed? Was, were you happy? Were you uh, happy? I was happy. Okay. I was. Um, I was. I, I got a very large check that I was not expecting because I had ownership mm -hmm. uh, in in in, in um, the That's office. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Kind of surprise. So it was a great surprise. You know, I was. Um, I was. How I, old were you when this happened? Yeah, sure. So I was thirty-one, and oh, uh, I. Um, it was. Uh, it was it was a it was a, it was a great surprise. It was a, it was a huge check uh, for me at that point. Sure, time. it's a game changer. And um, and then I went and used that to buy a bunch of apartments. Uh, and and at the same time, Andrew then you know left City Habitats and and went on to run that company with Gary Mallon. Uh, learned a ton from Gary. Mm -hmm. Became a dear friend. Was Gary uh, already there? When yeah, you took over, so yeah. it, it was Andrew basically set you and Gary kind of a, already before the sale happened to run the company itself. Yeah, that's exactly right. Got so it. Gary had been there for years, had been running the company with Andrew, mm -hmm. uh, and then Gary tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, you want to do this with me?" And and uh, I was honored, and you know we went ahead and did it for eight years together. I think um, you know we 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 did a, a formidable job of of making it a, a real solid company and. And I also earned my stripes a bunch um, because I, I learned a ton from the Corcoran family uh, sure. because our revenues went into Corcoran and uh, I, I just learned a ton from that entire management team, from the leadership team there, uh, Pam Levin, Teresa Hall, yep. uh, and, and the entire sales management team. Uh, it, it really was an incredible education from uh, what I thought at the time was, was um, the best company right. in the sector. What did Andrew? Let's, we're gonna sure. We're gonna switch gears from 
to Andrew in a minute, but but just final question about Andrew Heiberger is what what did he do so right to make City Habitat so successful at the time? What do you think were some of the business strategic moves specifically? Was it brick and mortar, just expanding the storefronts? It's different than today's business model, obviously. Yeah, sure. Great question, Todd. So I think it's three three main things. One is is there is room in the market to uh, grow a just an enormous rental business. And what a lot of people don't didn't realize at the time was the amount of money that could be made off of rentals if you went ahead and did that. Not just from the commissions, uh, but also at the time, which is no longer allowed now, um, uh, the processing fees. So. Um, you know, at, at the time, that, that was a huge revenue driver to the organization. What were the processing fees like? Yeah, so basically, you know, they started at around $50 and went yeah. up to around $75. Yeah. Uh, but it would cost the company somewhere around $10 or $12 to, to run that credit check. So imagine what that revenue driver is uh, when you're charging that and you're doing tens of thousands. Margins are great. Transactions, yeah. Great so, um, so there was a lot of money to be made on the commissions. And then basically building those relationships to, uh, for the agents to help them grow their business and building really large. So that was the second piece is um, to organically be able to bring in revenue and then grow that into the sales business. And uh, City Habitats had a really formidable uh, sales business that most people didn't realize because it was really branded as a rental company. But um, did a lot of sales business and most people didn't realize that. So that was the second piece. And then the third piece that uh, I think was really smart um, that, that Andrew was able to take advantage of is we talked about how in the early to mid 90s, um, your ability to get your hands on, uh, as you mentioned, brick and mortar or retail space and take advantage of really um, inexpensive leases uh, to, to grow your business and get incredible visibility uh, at that point in time. Uh, it helped uh, the company hire agents, uh, it helped the company retain agents, and it also helped uh, you know, get the name brand out and brand the company all over the city. Because buyers and sellers will just walk in. Yes. Unlike today where everything's more web-based, correct? Yes. Landlords will say, oh, I haven't even need to rent my building yet. Let me just walk into this city so habitat's branch, like uh, you go to like the bank. That's exactly right. That's exactly That's right. Amazing. So I think those are those are the three main areas. And then of course, what every business needs to do. You need to work, you need to outwork everyone else or work at least as hard as them in the industry. I think Andrew at that point in time was outworking everyone else uh, and, and did a good job of getting the team to, to do the same. Uh, and then you have to be able to, to execute, uh, which, um, you know, he, he made sure that the team did a great job. I think the moral of the story is like any CEO, tech, tech CEO executive that has become uber successful, whether it's Bezos going in from books to online retailing or uh, Uber going in from, you know, Uber just capitalizing on the fact that medallions had such a lock in the city and there was this massive opportunity. Andrew also found a massive opportunity in two areas that do not exist today, which is retail and application processing fees. And then what you said, number two, the growth of the sales business, that's kind of still part of our, our uh, business uh, even today. Well said. Yeah, you know, yeah, the sales business, remember Greg Young, he was such an impact on my life, you know? <laughs> shout, they got a, yeah. uh, shout out to Greg Young. Greg, Greg was a, Immensely helpful. My first coach, mentor, 
three years of the business. You just gave me the chills. An incredible human being. Yeah. yeah. That passed too early. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really, really, thanks really, for doing that talk. Yeah. Really, uh, really impactful person, at least in my career, because uh, when I first started, I didn't really have a mentor. I didn't have a team. I didn't have any guidance. I didn't have any direction for at least two years. You know, I was kind of running around with the chicken head cut off <laughs> until I ran into uh, Greg Young and Broker Heaven, and he is the man responsible for essentially creating the sales business yeah. for City Habitats. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's really good to always talk about it. Yeah, yeah. impactful guy. Uh, and so, before we switch out of city habitats, I just want to ask you: There's, I don't think there's anyone on this earth that has maybe, maybe, maybe one other person. I don't know, maybe, maybe two. But the amount of agents that you have seen come through your door that became immensely successful brokers, even to this day. Like I'm sure you meet like Martin Scott who. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, some of those guys. Yeah, 15 years. 15 yeah. years. Uh, that are, or that have become extremely successful managers or extremely successful in other parts of their life, maybe not in real estate anymore, or the ones that have completely just failed and just bombed. I mean, you've seen thousands of people come through your door. You've interviewed and met and trained and managed thousands of these brokers. What makes them? Is there one or two traits that you, that you can just kind of look and say, okay, these guys are going to be really good? Or you see one or two traits and you, you think to yourself immediately, if they don't switch, they're done. They're going to be out of the business in six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, how many people have you met? That, that I love that question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been, I've been at this now for 28 years. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've, so I, I'd say in the industry, um, you know, probably close to about 20,000 over those years that I've uh, met, you know, in the industry um, uh, that I've had, you know, some sort of relationship with, whether it be on the agent or employee side. Uh, and I would say that the top traits of agents, uh, the top three, I would say is, one, they, they truly need to understand that if they're gonna be successful, that uh, it's their own business. They're not, um, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm going to become a real estate agent or, 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 or a realtor or a broker, whatever the terminology is that they want to use. But the agents that are super successful understand that, that it's their own business. And um, one, of the, one of the hardest thresholds to cross there that agents typically don't understand because they don't have to invest any money up front to every other business. If, talk, if you and I were to open a coffee shop, uh, and uh, first of all, we, we know we'd have the Washington football team everywhere. <laughs> and, but uh, we would have, yeah, we, it would be at least $100,000 just on just, you know, uh, rent and security and machines and, you know, but in real estate, yeah. you don't really have to come up with any money. So, um, so that, that a lot of people don't understand that just because you're not coming up with a large sum of money, that it's your business and you take ownership. So the agents that truly understand it's their business. Uh, and they have to they have to work at it like it's their business because the coffee shop example you and I would both be there 365 days out oh, of yeah. the year if we opened it up yeah uh, a lot of uh, people that get into the industry don't understand they say well I'm okay. I'll work weekends but they don't understand that you have to work every day for the first three four five six years every day uh, because it's your business so that's number one number two is um, you have to have the uh, ability to um, to, to not just put in the time, but um, 
be willing to do things that are very uncomfortable for you. So um, that could be physically, like your feet have to hurt uh, for many, many, many months at a time if you're gonna be successful. You gotta wear out the soles on your shoes. You gotta change your shirt three times a day. You gotta change your shirt three times a day. You know, the most successful agents are going to all of the broker open houses and previewing the properties as they come on the market. And, you know, so think about all the time and effort that goes into that um, you physically need to um, put yourself out there in a way that is almost unimaginable when you get into the industry. And if you, if you do that um, and you're willing to do that, you're going to get insight that uh, a lot of your competition won't. Right. Uh, and then the third is um, to be able to have the ability to find whatever your niche is. Uh, and, and there has to be some sort of niche uh, for you to be able to, to drive the revenue forward. And your niche could be any one of many things. It could be, you know, initially maybe you're, you're going to just go and get a lot of rental exclusives. Um, and that's how I survived initially as an agent before I realized I was an average agent. I'd be better uh, on the management side. Uh, or your niche could be a certain neighborhood. Or your niche could be the way that you communicate with your sphere on a regular basis to bring in business. Or your niche could be, hey, I don't need to be a team leader. I want to work on a team uh, to make sure that uh, I have open houses I can cover and I get the benefits of that and I learn at the same time. Uh, so whatever that niche is, uh, the sooner that you find that, that, that an agent finds it out in their career and if they work tirelessly uh, and um, and are, are, are physically out uh, in, in the market seeing product consistently. If you do those three things, your chances of success uh, are very, very high. But very few agents actually do all three of those things. Mm -hmm. can, can you name me one, one person, that one agent that you oversaw since the beginning and then had actually gone through that? That comes to mind? Yeah, sure. That so did those three things? Yeah, sure. So, um, look, uh, Jason Sav comes to mind. Oh, right? yeah. So, look at, look at Jason Sav. So, Sapp. Jason, shout out to Jason Sav. Shout out to Jason Sav. He's actually, he's usually in the office almost every day. Yeah. Yeah, Jason is definitely one of the OGs. Yeah, so Jason, I was lucky enough to meet early on. He was uh, earlier on in his career and he was trying to find his way and he, um, had, had the ability to have, um, he's always had that artistic vision around aesthetics and uh, what that meant in living in a home. Yeah. And yeah. he was able to, his niche was to work with a lot of small landlords and help them improve their property in such a way that he added such value that he would retain these exclusive relationships that, that they, um, they wouldn't be able to get um, rent the property nearly as fast. They wouldn't be able to get the price that they were getting uh, because he would improve the properties or make recommendations to improve the properties. And then, of course, he would do everything else that a broker broker did. Broker did yeah. And he came, you know, all all the way along, and then built his sales business. And we um, we had a lot of strategy around that and how to build the business. And uh, and of course, now he's got two businesses. He's yep. got his brokerage end. He's got his interior design and staging business. And uh, he's uh, really, really happy and proud of what, what Jason's been able to create. 
busy guy. He, he's, he's always operating on uh, in the office, and you can always hear the typing always in a specific area in the office. You know it's always Jason Sapp. So. <laughs> Shout out to Jason. Let's switch gears, transition into Compass, huh? So you had a great 18 years at City Advertise, probably a pretty good pay salary or yeah really good exactly they treated me well uh, yeah i'm sure but whatever it was i'm sure it was really good at least within our industry probably in the, in the top whatever percent the top four or five percent uh or maybe even better why would you want to take that risk to join a startup a b who approached you and c what you know what what were your first six months like you must have been kind of I don't know, <laughs> scared? Like, oh, oh 18 yeah. years in this great organization, you know, brand is good, established, you're, you have a family, you have kids, I mean, you know, you have, you have a great, great income, I mean, why, why, why jump? Yeah, yeah, great questions. Uh, so, to, to your uh, first question there, um, I'm an entrepreneur by nature, and uh, I, I did, I was making a great living, and um, the change was uncomfortable, uh, or, or thinking about change was uncomfortable, but I go to a program uh, out in Chicago called Strategic Coach, and they got me thinking about my five-year plan, which was very uncomfortable for me. I, I was making a great living, I wasn't married, life was great, I'm living in no commitments except the business, and um, life was great, but then I, I got to thinking, what do I really want out of life? And, and that was, I wanted a family, and. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to, to meet my wife, uh, Laura, soon after I made the commitment. Shout out to Laura Gala. Laura Gala, she is amazing. I, I wouldn't have nearly the success um, on, on the business or, or personal side without her. So thanks for that talk. Yeah, and uh, she loves and respects talk. She's always asking about talk. As talk mentioned, we, we see each other, whether it's in the city or at Maspin, and we always have a lot of fun together. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so basically, um, why did I make the change and the decision to make the change? Well, first of all, when I got that really big check, um, it left an, back in the city Habitat days, it left an impression upon me to say, hey, wait, if you start a business in the brokerage industry, there can be a payoff. Um, and, you know, so that left an impression upon me, and I realized that there's kind of, you know, a, a semi-cap on the employee side um, in the industry, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I don't like having a cap, and um, I, don't, I don't really view myself as a CEO type, so I was searching for what could I do, and then um, uh, Strategic Coach helped me realize, like, I probably would have to start another company at some point in time to have unlimited upside, um, the same way that Andrew gave you that ability uh, with, with City Habitat. So, uh, and then one day I was sitting there, and, and, and we, had two, we have three kids now, but we had two at the time, and the boys were playing with their devices and I'm watching them and I realized they were better at, at playing with their um, iPads at the time than I could have been and they were two and three years old. And I said, oh my God, I, I need to get with a company that uh, is aligned with technology because that's going to be the future to some degree. And I made the mental adjustment. I went out and met with every company out there. And everyone was pretty much the same. No one was really committed to technology. And it, it's hard to pull off because the, the margins in brokerage are 5% if you're doing everything perfect. So yeah. it really hard narrow. to make that, yeah, narrow, really hard for an established company to make that commitment. Uh, and then, so to answer question B, transition nicely, uh, is who, 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 who approached me? Um, 
Yeah, so funny story there. Uh, I, Robert Refkin had, had reached out, and I, I guess I didn't respond within 24 hours, and I forwarded, uh, at the time, we, I would have about 300 sort of tech companies reach out per year in my role, and I would ask my assistant, we would have what were called tech days once a quarter, so we'd line them all up, the ones we want to meet with. So I forwarded the email to my assistant. I didn't know who Robert was. I didn't really look at it much. Right. And, um, and she hadn't contacted him yet. And then I got a call from uh, a, a gentleman at Apollo who said, would you meet with a friend of mine? Oh. Uh, and Apollo was actually the money behind Realogy. He said he wants to pick your brain because he's heard a lot of great things about you from from people that he's... Um, kind of that, ironic, isn't that it? He's, it's very ironic. There's a lot of money behind Yeah. So. Yeah. So I introduced you to the competitor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he, he, I don't think he realized this. And then, um, and uh, uh, you know, Robert came in with Andy Bernstein. Uh, oh, yeah. lo love Andy. Great lady. Great lady. Andy's an incredible woman, and she was. Uh, this was before there was any office or any. You know, Robert was still at Goldman Sachs, and Andy was was she was still working at uh, in the publishing business. Um, there was actually um, at that point. Um, the company was when I first met with them wasn't even incorporated, um, and and anyway I met with them and uh, I remember walking out of the office they they came to, to my office and Robert well Robert said to me when he was in the office would you want to do something with us and I said well how would that work because I work here and you don't even really know what you want to do yet and you want to pick my brain he said well just think about it and then I walked out of the office and I see Robert on on the corner with Andy Bernstein. Uh, and he didn't see me walking by him, but I saw him on the corner of 20th and Park saying, that's the kind of guy that we need to build culture around. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, well, I have some negotiation ability here if, I, if I'm going to do something. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, uh, you know, that, that was um, in the year when Sandy, Hurricane Sandy hit New York. The marathon was canceled. That was to be Robert's 50th marathon in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, met him for, and he kept telling me, we're going to meet for dinner with my partner who was already alone. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, yeah, we're going to meet tomorrow. We're going to meet tomorrow. And I'm thinking, there's no lights out in the city. Like, Hurricane Sandy just hit, like, how are we going to meet? And he said, my partner's trying to get back to the city. He was, he was in the Dominican Republic at the time. And, and anyway, so we met for dinner, and then uh, that was pretty much it. I, I realized when Ori was on board with Robert, that Ori had the ability to hire the engineers. And I said to myself, what's the worst case scenario? And the worst case scenario is I would go work with another company uh, in the industry, whether it was City Habitats or Corcoran or some other company, if, if this failed. But I said, I really need to take this opportunity to get with a company where um, we have the ability to hire our, our own engineers to, to build one platform uh, in-house because no other brokerage firm had the ability to hire the engineers. You always had to farm it out. By the time you got it back, the technology was almost old at that point in time. And um, that was it. We were off and running. So th that meeting was in October um, uh, and, and of 2012. And I officially joined um, January 10th, uh, 2013. And, um, and um, what was the third part of the question? Well, it's, it's kind of growing pains, I guess. You know what? what oh, what were the first six months like? Yeah, uh, you think about the you join, you're like, oh my god, did I make the wrong decision? You, you guys were kind of not you, we were, but Urban Compass was kind of a discount brokerage that had listings, but the houses weren't very good, and the, there was a showing agent, but there was also a 
back-end booking agent. And I mean, you, you're 18 years at City Habitats is the top rental house in the, you know, in the industry. You're, you're overseeing this. I mean, did you think it was a, you know, a, a, a S show? I mean, yeah, it was interesting times, <laughs> talk. Um, I'll tell you, uh, so you asked about the first six months. The first day when I got off the subway, as I said, it was January 10th. I'll never forget it. It was my, my oldest son's birthday, Julian. Um, I got off the subway at Spring, Spring Street, the 6th train in, in Soho. And I'm walking across Spring Street to the office um, on, on 6th and Spring. And, I'm, and the, the wind was blowing in my face. It was freezing cold in January. I said, what did I just do? <laughs> This, am I crazy? Did I just do this? I can't believe it. And he's a pretty big pay cut, I'm assuming. Oh, huge, huge, huge pay cut. On top of that. Yeah, huge pay cut. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so um, those moments were so uncertain, so scary. Um, I was, you know, working 16-hour days the first two years. I never saw, I really didn't see my kids um, or my wife. And, you know, my wife is so incredible that we went through some really shaky times there. Because she said, "Who did I marry? I never see you." I mean, I was, I was out the door at six thirty in the morning. I come home at ten at night, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturdays, you know, I'm doing trainings in the office every single Saturday, and, <laughs> um, and on Sunday, I'm all over my phone thinking we're going to go out of business at any moment. Oh my goodness! So it was, it was scary times, uncertain times, um, you know, but a thrill at the same time. Um, it, the model um, we needed, so the engineers, in order. In order to get to where we are today, you know, what are, so what do engineers want to do? What, what, you know, what does technology want to do? It wants to remove the middleman. It wants to um, reduce costs for the consumer and make things more efficient. So we needed to try a model where it wasn't the typical broker in the middle because in order to convince the engineers and to convince Ori, we needed to try and, and go ahead and and find a way to say, hey, can we reduce costs and at the same time uh, make the experience better for the consumer? Well, you know what we did? We made it, we took one person's job, the agent, and we made it 12 people's job and we increased costs and we made it more complicated. What a mess. Um, we also realized that employees will not work nearly as hard as agents. Um, they'll work half as hard. Um, you know, even when they're working, and they'll work half the amount of hours. So, um, you know, about 10 months in, you know, Ori had this big meeting with me. Um, you know, I think that they were scared that I might uh, jump ship or something, but he said, what about if we just hire um, the best agents in the country, and then the world, and create the best technology? And I said, let's do it, let's go. And that was it. We've never looked back since. I mean, that's We've, a huge pivot. Yeah, huge. I, I wasn't sure if we could do that. Literally scrapping everything up and back to the drawing board. That's right. I mean, it must have been it must have been nerve wracking at some point. Yeah, a lot of people that were um, within the you know at the, in the company at that point in time were very upset. They sure. said this is not what I signed up for. And and Ori said, look, if you're not on board, you know, with all due respect, there you know, there's the door. Yeah. Uh, don't stay here. If, this is not um, something that you're aligned with. And um, so there was a shift there. A bunch of people left. Some people were asked to leave. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we, we pushed forward from, from that point on. And, um, you know, um, the rest is, is sort of history, although I think we're actually just getting started. 
Uh, the upside, uh, and, and I truly mean that. I think these are the early days of Compass. Uh, you know, yes, we have 20,000 agents uh, and, and over 2,000 employees, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. We, we, we barely have 3% market share in the country. So there's so much upside uh, and, and there's so much that we can do uh, as, as we push forward. You know, that, that what you just said, going back to the pivot in the business model, you know, that's a huge shift. Uh, I get it. I mean, it must have been nerve wracking for even Refkin. He may not show it, but I'm sure it was nerve wracking for him. When I first had a meeting with him, I told him straight up, I don't want to be in a discount agency because our service that we do is, it can't be done at a discount. You know, it's really, it's a really hard business. So uh, I think, he, you know, he also acknowledged, yes, we're not a discount firm. Definitely not a discount firm. He shook his head like really hard and I, I still remember that to this day. Uh, so you, you, you did kind of transition, you know, pivot. Now we transitioned into today's, uh, what's going on, what's happening in today's market. Um, Everybody loves to hear success stories, but people don't adapt to it as close to as losses, right? If you could give me one or two losses that you've taken business-wise in the last year, you know, what was it and was there a learning experience from that? Yes, yeah, so when, when you say losses, um, just things that, um, that set me back whether they be personal or professional, is that? Um, personal or professional, within the last year. I mean, I oh, within the last year. Yeah, well, I know we're all immensely successful and things are going, but I get, you know, obviously everyone has their losses. Talk about one of yours. Yeah, sure. So um, I would say, look, um, obviously what's happened in 2020, um, at, at, you know, the moment where the company had to make a decision to lay off 400 people, um, uh, on the employee side. That was a very difficult moment uh, for me to see so many people um, get laid off and um, so many people that work so hard um, that that was just, to me, uh, on, on the professional side, to see that happen uh, was just, was really difficult and aligned with that. Um, the agents, um, especially in New York City, to go through such a tough period of time where uh, they, they literally could not make money for a period of time. Locked up. Uh, yeah, just shut down. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, that just was, was, was like, it ripped, it ripped, my, ripped my guts out. Yeah. Because uh, I, I love real estate agents. They're the underdog. Um, they go out there and it's a lonely world, you know, um, out there when, you, when you're going out and competing and getting beat up all day long. And I've been an underdog um, in, my, in my life. I have two older brothers and a younger sister and they always excelled and did better at school. And, and uh, you know, I just, I feel like real estate agents are the underdog and um, people don't realize that, uh, you know, the 300 things that they do when they sell a property, there's probably 300 <laughs> things that they actually do. And um, so it, it just kind of rip, rip, ripped it out of me to see people go through such a difficult time on, um, on the professional yeah. side. 
Uh, one more question, but just I know you're a busy man. So, uh, what's in store for 2021 for Compass? What do you think? What's what do you expect? Maybe do you have a, a guess on how we'll either go up or down, or you know, the, will the market survive here? Will Compass just explode? I mean, what, what's going to happen? Yeah. Oh boy, talk. Let's go. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, 2021, uh, we are we're in for some fun. <laughs> we are going to go to a place where um, uh, three things will happen. Number one, uh, we view the agents as our customers. So, on the customer service side, we are getting back to the basics, and we are going to excel like we never have over the next three months as it relates to our agents and the focus on them as the customer and everything they need from A to Z as it relates to their business. Um, we just kicked off this process. It's something that we're always talking about, but we are laser focused on that. Number two, we are gonna go out and raise money that we uh, provide um, uh, value, whether it be through initiatives uh, or on the technology side that are going to blow people's minds. Uh, and I'm talking about, um, we're gonna raise a lot of money. Uh, not, not We've already raised a lot of money. It seems, yes. it seems to me like 1.6 billion or whatever you raised, we need more? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in order, to, in order to leverage up and do the sort of things that will help agents double their market share, um, and I say that, uh, double their market share, we are gonna do some things that the industry's never seen before, to help agents literally double their market share. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, and then the third thing is further expansion. We are gonna go to cities um, that people never are, never thought would be. We just opened in Hawaii. Yeah, we just opened in Hawaii. But you just said 3% of the nation right, right now. So yeah. we have yeah. a lot of room to grow. Yeah, so you, we're gonna see uh, a lot more expansion across the Are you able to give any hints on where yet or? Um, I can't say exactly <laughs> where at this point, uh, and the reason is, is because to be honest with you, we don't want the competition know, knowing that we're coming. Totally. Uh, so I, 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 I can't say it publicly, uh, but when we turn off the mic, I'll let you know where it talk. So, hey, thank you so much, Gordon. I appreciate it. Uh, 40th episode of Real Talk, Gordon. Thank you. Thank you, Talk, and thanks for being one of the first and most successful agents to come on board right from the very beginning Successful and help build this place. Objective over objective, but thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> thank you, Todd.